Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. Welcome back, and thanks for listening. My next guest is Coach Gary Waters, who spent 11 seasons as the winningest coach in Cleveland State University's program history. With over two decades of experience in coaching, Coach Waters has seen many changes within the profession over the years and has worked tirelessly to instill a core of values and integrity both on and off the court. Coach Waters wrote a book called The Ten Principles of a Character Coach. We talk about how coaches sometimes play the most important role in young people's lives, as well as the emerging trends and culture of coaching and futures ahead. Enjoy the conversation. Um, I want to welcome you, Coach, to to the podcast. We uh, we had a time trying to connect, didn't we? <laughs> but here we are now. It seemed that way, yeah, yeah. But you know, you know, it's good. It's good. It's all good. Yeah, everything everything happens uh, for a reason, and I'm glad that we were able to continue uh, trying to keep this connection going. Um, so I'd love to start off. Uh, you know, one of the things I like to have guests do is kind of introduce themselves a little bit because I'm a believer in, you know, speaking, kind of speaking your own name and your own power into the world. And, and you've got a pretty uh, amazing story that we'll get into a little bit, just given your background. But uh, I'd love for you to just start off with kind of a brief intro, um, who you are and uh, um, some of the things you, you might want to ch- chat about or that you're known for, obviously got a book and a couple other things, but would love for you to start off, uh, start off there and then we can jump, you know, jump in any direction. My name's Gary Waters, and uh, and I'm 71 years old. That's that's a, that's a long time being in this world. And, but you know what? I enjoy every minute I'm in it, and uh, and I'm learning new experiences even at, at an older age. Uh, I I'm from Detroit, Michigan, and uh, and I. I left there early, meaning I went to college early, and then I, I haven't really been back a whole lot, you know. So uh, now I'm, you know, I'm traveling the, the country and I'm traveling the, the world, even at times. And uh, you know, uh, I've been I've been in the East. I've I've been in uh, the, the a lot in the Midwest. I have been, you know, I've traveled and visited the uh, the West and so on. Uh, but you know, in in regards to where I've lived, I haven't lived in those areas. So, but uh, I've co- I've been a coach. That's been the biggest part of my life. Uh, I played in the early days, but then I after that I became a coach, and I became a coach early in my career. You know, oftentimes coaches uh, do it after the fact. Uh, 
But uh, once I, you know, I finished playing and, and, and I'd seen I couldn't go any further, I made a decision. I said, hey, I'm not going to chase this dream every day. You know, I'm going to go into what I enjoy doing. And often, you know, I graduated. The strange thing is, I strangely, I graduated in business. So you think you'd go directly into business, even though I have used it throughout my career. But I didn't go in there. I said, you know, I want to I want to have a relationship with other people and I want to make a uh, you know, make contact with other people. And so I sat down with the Lord one day and we said, well, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, what I want to do is transform lives. And ever since then, I've, I've been in coaching. I thought that was an avenue that I could go through and transform lives. And he has taken care of me every minute in that profession. I've never had to worry in it. And uh, it's been great. So uh, I've coached at uh, numerous schools. I coached at uh, Ferris State, Eastern Michigan, uh, uh, Rutgers, I mean, Kent State, Rutgers, Cleveland State. So I've been at a lot of schools that I have coached. And I've got a lot of experience and I've met a lot of people. And, and I hope during that period of time, I've transformed lives through all those, you know, experiences. So that's, that's a short version of my life. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that, Coach. And um, first of all, let me just thank you for uh, a long and esteemed career as a, as a basketball coach. You started, you mentioned, as a player, right? You were at Fair State. Do I have that right? Yep. That's correct. Um, and you played from 72 to, uh, yeah, 72, 74. Is that, is that right around that yeah, time? Yeah, 73, 74 during that period of time. And then you became an assistant coach right after, well, shortly after that in 74. And you've coached essentially from, uh, from that time, 74, you coached all the way till about 2017. Is that right? Oh, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's longevity. That's a long tenure. Uh, it as is. A coach. It is. And, uh, and you know what? It, during it all, it's been a great journey because, you know, my objective was, like I said, to transform lives, to help people, to make them better people. And during that whole time, I've been able to do it. Yeah. And I'd love to kind of, um, not to play on words here, but double dribble into that transforming lives, uh, <laughs> if you don't mind. Um, oh, good, good. Because I think... Most of when you when you talked about, you know, you had had a, a degree in business and you thought you were going to go into business. And when people ask about businesses and companies and they ask, like, what are they? I often remind people they're such essentially just a collection of humans. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the things I love about the business I've had the opportunity to, to be in across several companies is anytime I'm given the opportunity to hire an athlete work with an athlete, um, train an athlete, you know, it, it becomes very evident to me when they have had a strong and powerful and life-changing relationship with an athletic coach. Hmm, yes. Yes. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty common. Mm -hmm. You're exactly right. And it, it's, to me, it's one of the things that stands out whenever you meet talent in any realm, frankly, is that if they were um, in a sport or played a sport, most of the time you ask those people, what was one of the most memorable events for them or moments for them? And I'm sure there's a handful of people that will talk about the medals, the awards, things like that. But most of them, when I talk to them, coach, they talk about their coaches. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going to tell you how unique what you're saying is. Uh, one of the things I'm, do I'm doing in retirement, uh, you know, my book, you obviously know that's out. Mm -hmm. but, some, but the police department found out about my book. Okay. And they contacted me. And they asked me, you know, would I like to come and teach a workshop to them about character? And uh, so I had to, you know, it was a long drawn out process. I had to get certified and where it started at was in Michigan. So I had to go get certified through the police department and to be able to teach these classes. But one of the things, I'm, uh, and I'm, I'm giving you a long story for, for a short answer. Okay. One of the things that was pretty evident is that they felt comfortable, meaning asking me to come and teach these classes because I was a coach. Yeah. And they felt that many times they bring in psychologists, they bring in all different types of people to, to do these type of things. And, and, and it's a turnoff to the police, the police officers. But they said all of them had a coach yeah. and they all can, can understand about what this means. And they all respected coaches. That's another thing. And, you know, if you know, in my book, I'm talking about uh, one of the principles it talks about is uh, got to remember, treat others the way you want to be treated. Mm -hmm. And that's what respect. Yeah. And see, and one of our problems in our society today, we don't treat each other with respect. Right. From the day we meet them, we don't treat them with respect. And that's why we have all these issues. Yeah. So just go on. That gives you a little idea how important yeah. having a coach is in your life. Absolutely. And I, I really love that story that you shared about the, you know, the police force in, uh, in Michigan that sort of invited you to speak because you, you hit on something, and I've I've talked about this with previous guests who have been in law enforcement, in military, or in and around those uh, those cultures. One of the mm -hmm. things they really struggle with is is trust. You know that trust yes. has to be earned. Yes. yes. But more importantly, yes. trust has to be kept and maintained yep. and nourished and fed. And I've talked about this in the past with guests where they say that once that trust is broken, it's really hard to get back. So it doesn't surprise me. Um, it actually delights me in your story that you had mentioned they reached out to you as a coach to say, hey, we have a set of teaching or lessons or principled items we really want to convey to, to our police force. And not just anybody standing in the front of a classroom will do, frankly. Right, right, um, exactly. You will do because you're a coach and those police officers at some point either played for a coach or trusted a coach, or maybe they were in situations in, in communities as well, where mm -hmm. the coach was the ambassador, was the diplomat, right? Yeah. Was the person that could talk yep, to yep. Uh, other members of the community, be it youth or teachers. So I'd love to, to kind of talk a little bit about that when you talk about the, like the principal characters of being a coach. I think on any given day, you have to be many things to many people. How did that evolve for you? Oh, that's Bill, that's a great question. And, and it started when I wrote this book. Mm -hmm. You know, I went into retirement. I was trying to think of something to do. And I said, hey, you know, I'm not going to just, you know, go away and, and, and not exist. So let me let me start here. So I so I wrote this book. And and let me tell you, at the time, men's basketball was was in a struggle period, mm -hmm. meaning they were really having a lot of problems. And, you know, it was in the news. It was everywhere. I mean, you know, all kinds of, but not only men's basketball, just in sports alone. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about all the things that was happening to like the Olympic team, the females and yeah. all, I mean, it's just all kinds of things that all deal with character. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know what? 
let me write about our sport because they need some help. And and so the first person I went to to write about it was Dr. Naismith, the inventor of basketball. And let me let me read to you from my from my book Please, what he yeah. thinks is important. Naismith believed that if you elect to be a coach, it was also your responsibility to be an advisor, a counselor, and a father figure, and to get and, and to act at all times as an example to the athletes in your care. Okay, you had to be an example. He also envisioned, or he further envisioned, that sports should develop character, foster patriotism, and instill ethical values that would be would serve the participants well into later life. And then when I read that, you know, and I got that out of, out of his writings, and I read it, I said, man, are we really doing that in our sport? Mm-hmm. Are we connecting with the people that we come in contact with doing these type of things? And that's why I wrote the book. That's that's wonderful. I, I love that, you know, in some sense, we have to get back to the root of it, right? We have to get back to um, the origin of many of the things. And as you, as you discussed before, part of the reason I think sometimes we struggle with even affording people respect is because we've forgotten where we come from, right? We've forgotten who oh, we yes. are. That, that's um, exactly right. You're so right. Bill. We've forgotten that we need each other more than anything um, at, at the end of the day. And I love that you went back to the root and the origin of that because it's, it's one of those things that to me in this fast paced world in the amount of change that we're seeing day to day, oftentimes we forget to really investigate the source of something, the root of it, the original cause of it. And if we can get back to that, then we can understand where things started to misalign or where misunderstanding took place and where assumptions took place. You know, there's a, there's a book that I keep back here with me that a friend gave me recently, and it's uh, an etymology dictionary. So it's it's quite thick, but it's literally a dictionary of words that provides the origin of those words. And I call on it a lot, and I use etymology a lot because it... Dude, I need something like that. That's really good. It's a great gift. It was a great <laughs> gift. Um, and it serves in a way that I find myself be it in discussions or even disagreements, where if you can just pause and say, hey, allow me to go back and actually understand the original use and origin of that word. Now, words change over time. Meaning changes over time. We evolve as humans. But sometimes it's good to just stop and say, well, what was was its original intent? Yes. And how far have we gotten from that? Right. So you think of politics that when, when you think about it, we've gone so far on to one side that, you know, it's I don't want to say it's not, it's going to be difficult to get back, but it's going to be hard to get back. Exactly. Think about it. Forgotten the originality of it. Like you said, I, right. I truly believe that. I truly believe that. And that's the thing I love about when I talk to coaches, the their original reason they got into it. Right. The original call as you said, purpose, Right. you know, you said, Hey, what am I going to do here? And you were called essentially to transform lives. Um, and I'm curious from the standpoint of 
you probably imagined, I'm going to transform young lives, right? I'm going to transform the lives of high school, college, maybe a little bit beyond. But even as you described in your story with the police force, you're transforming lives of people at all ages and generations. So I'm curious, how does that feel now? Well, you know, <laughs> you, and let's give you, I'm going to give you something else to add to that. Mm. I just finished my uh, second book, okay, and it's titled Coaching Millennials from a Character Perspective. <laughs> here we are. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> and when I do, when I've done all the research, here, here's the strange thing. I've, I've done a whole lot of research in order to do this yeah. because I, in order to tell the story, in, in all my books, I tell a story, like the one, mm-hmm. 10 Principles of a Character Coach. And it's one of the time I was at Cleveland State and I had those kids. The, team, the time when I was the coach at Rutgers and I had those kids, they were millennials. So yeah. I, had to tell, I wanted to tell a story about them and all the things that happened during that period of time that millennials go through and why do they act the way they act today or we see them a certain way, all because of the origination, as you talked about. And... And, and you remember the biggest part that, that hit me when writing this book? Hmm. I was wondering, you know, you know, I, people in, in society feel there's a big question mark when it comes to millennials and how they respond and how they react. And what they don't realize, and when you research all this, is that it came from somewhere. And and what I found out, it came from their parents. Mm-hmm. You know, and if they had any issues. They were their parents were a part of those issues, and it was, and they, they even allowed them to do certain things, and or, or or they showed them ways to do certain things that they continued to do. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because I was called at one point in my career the millennial whisperer. Oh, hey, I've read the book. <laughs> <laughs> I read, you know, when I. Uh, when I started writing this and I'm with a publisher and he sent me, he, uh, and I told him what my next book was. And he said, you know, I'm going to send you a book and I want you to mm-hmm. read it because it may give you some insights. And what, yeah. what I did was I, I, I literally researched maybe about six or seven books that I read. Yeah. And my whole purpose was to, to understand the millennials. That was my whole concept was to understand the millennials. Now I had a view of them from coaching them. Because and uh, in in you know when I was at Rutgers, and the mm-hmm. title of this book is called "Coaching Millennials from a Character Perspective." Mm-hmm. So I, I had an idea, but when I went back and researched, I realized that you know what I thought about millennials may not all be true. You know, right. you know, because they most of the books that are out are written about millennials in the workforce. Yes. And how they respond in the workforce. But when I read uh, Millennial Whisperers, it was totally different. You know, I really yeah. enjoyed the reading of that book. Yeah. And I think I think the other part, which I, I really kind of am excited about this forthcoming book that you're talking about, is there's an element to it which we have, I think, saturated the discussion on millennials in the workplace. And many, many of my mentees and and people I consider friends and colleagues that are in that in that generation, frankly, they're just kind of tired of of those stale, you know, um, hypotheses. And a lot of them don't necessarily hold up anymore. But what I find fascinating is you take it to the court or court side or you take Ooh. it to the the mat or you take it to the field. Ooh. 
Y- yes, yes. Uh, it's interesting to me because, and I'm just I'm just hypothesizing here myself, and I would love your thoughts on this. I imagine that many of the tenets and the principles of behavior that make people feel as if millennials are a certain way in the workplace, and they might criticize them for that. Those same tenets on the court, field, or mat make them a star. <laughs> Bill, you make, I mean, lift them higher than what you can imagine. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. However, there's a what I call a, a, a point in, in, in their lives where something gets in the way for them to move forward. Mm. And, 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 and like you said at the beginning about origination, it is usually, you know, goes back and to their families, to, the, mm-hmm. to, their, to their parents. And, and one of the things I've found in, you know, the, in, in researching this information, that there are a lot of strange parents out there. That, <laughs> and they even titled names of them, like helicopter parents and all these different <laughs> kind of names because you know, you didn't expect that to be happening. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also would love to to dig in a little bit to the different cultures and ecosystems in which you worked. So you started off at Ferris State, then you went to Eastern Michigan, then Kent State, then Rutgers, then Cleveland State. Every one of those, I imagine, as a university, as a college, you know, these are these are ecosystems, right? These are cultures inside of cultures inside of cultures. Right, right. So, so as you look back on that, are you able to discern and say, hey, one was like this versus the other? Were there certain lessons that you or wisdom that you pulled from each community differently? Um, I have the opportunity to work on uh, a couple boards and I work with a lot of universities. And and one of the things I find myself also Interesting, interestingly, coaches, I gravitate towards living near universities and colleges because the energy Ooh. is very magnetic for me. Right. I'm a, I'm a lifelong yeah, it learner it is. and I like right, the energy right. of, of, of learners and young people and, um, you know, academic academics and knowing that we can solve problems in and around those spaces. So I'm just curious, what was it like for you to kind of go between those? And, and did each of them have a distinct culture? Well, you know, they, they did, you know, like, let's take um, Rutgers as an example. That's a, that's a high mm-hmm. academic institution. In essence, they want to be like Princeton. <laughs> and they don't realize mm-hmm. that uh, Princeton is, is by itself. I mean, it, it's and, and, and even being a coach there at times, it was difficult because the university wanted to be in, go in that direction. So they wanted right. you to only recruit kids in that direction. But you were in a mm-hmm. league, and at the time I was in the Big East, which the best players in America, that didn't even consider those stakes. They just said, hey, bring the best players in here, and we play and we do it, regardless of what type right. of behavior they show. We're going to do whatever is necessary. And so that was a distinct, you know, environment that I was in. Then, I, you know, at, uh, at – uh, Eastern Michigan, that was a, a, a different environment altogether. And each one had their own, uh, their, their own way of doing things. For instance, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example, which made even the Rutgers even more unique than many. It had five campuses, all within a walking distance. Okay, that's, you know, that's to some that may be odd, but to others it may not be. 
But right. the reason why I say it was unique was because each one had their own admission standards. Mm-hmm. Each campus now. So they had they had yeah. their own admissions on each one. So, I mean, it was, you know, it, <laughs> it was pretty unique that you had all that. And so, but you had a chance to experience all those different uh, campuses in one. So it, it, that was pretty unique. Yeah, and I think, you know, as I as I as I think about different colleges and universities that have, like you said, those different campuses, different colleges within the university, different divisions, right? As you said, they they recruit for different reasons. Um, what I find interesting at the same time, and is when you when you do come together, students of all walks of life, but they come together on a team and a team sport, and I wonder. And I welcome your thoughts on that. On this, is it is it kind of the first time that those students are able to sort of shed that um, that weight of, you know, I had to be this in order to get into this college. I had to have this rigor to get in. I had to be a legacy. I had to. But when they show up to a team uh, for the first time, is it is it truly an experience where they can just be themselves? Now, granted, there's some talent there that got them you know, to, to, to be considered on the team, right, but right. do they get to shed some of that other label pressure that comes along with getting into a school, uh, much less, you know, staying in that school? I'm just curious about that. No, that's good. That's a good question. And, and, and what you're saying there is the difference was at Rutgers is I had to bring everyone into one particular college. Yeah. And that was just called Rutgers college. Mm-hmm. And it was this highest standard college. Now, people don't realize before I came now, and I and I want to say this <laughs> correctly, before I came, they were into they were coming into on another campus, which had a lower academic standards to get into the whole works. But then when I came, they immediately uh, shift to a point where I, all my players had to come in through Rutgers College. OK, mm hmm. So now I had to have, I mean, and when I say come through, I mean, you're talking about a, a high SAT score, right. high GPA. They needed all that in order to get in. The only, the biggest problem I had was in my mind is that they had to compete against a, a, a group of other people that didn't have to have that. Right. Yeah. And then now let's, let's, let's talk even further mm-hmm. here, Bill. And then Every day they had to compete in the environment they were in. Yes. That academically, because of who they were with in, in their own individual college. So it was, you you know, when I say, and, and what you're asking, and, and I didn't answer it yet, what happens is when they come, when they, when they come away from that environment, mm-hmm. meaning move on in, in college and, and they go to practice, they can leave all that, all whatever's going on in their head alone. And then you just focus together as a team, as a group of individuals that are making themselves the best they can be in that environment. Mm-hmm. Because it's pressures. I mean, yeah. and, and, and people don't realize how much pressure it was on them because they had to live up to academic standards. But then they had to go back and they had to live up to the basketball standards. Yeah. In some way, you're never not competing, right? Because if you're in the That's classroom, right. you're competing for... Uh, earning right grades and, and academic standing. And then even in your reprieve, 
you're competing on the court against another team. But the but the sanctuary to me, as you're describing it, as I can sort of envision, is that team, right? Your team. It's the one place you can be. That's right. Um, and you can just sort of let go because somebody else has got you, and you don't have to really compete with the the guy or gal next to you because you're all a cohesive unit for that moment. Um, even well, yeah. and you know what I. I kind of talk about a little bit of that in my book about the locker mm-hmm. room, the sanctuary of the yeah. locker room. And you don't and and that's in, an important area for them. And if you if you if you uh, intertwine that with, with with other areas, you can have a lot of issues. Yeah. I, I would love to on this same thread, I'm going to take us somewhere uh, probably unexpected. Um, Damar Hamlin. OK. Um, the event that took place where he collapsed in the game um, between Buffalo and Cincinnati. I, there's been a lot of discussion around that this event and how it impacted the team. And, and a lot of us watched it nationally, on, you know, nationally and internationally, happening live on television. Um, one of the things that's sort of been resounding is what it was like for the team psychology right. to watch this happen, right? Mm-hmm. To watch one of their own go down, to watch the medics rush to the field. Um, and thankfully he's okay now, but um, among the many uh, cacophony of stories that have come of, uh, about this, the one that I feel I haven't necessarily been able to, to really kind of um, zoom in on is what is the psychology for team members as we've just been discussing, it's a sanctuary, right? The locker room is a sanctuary. Correct. Being together, knowing your your teammates is is your is your safety in some ways. What what do you think it is like from a psychological standpoint for team members to watch something like that happen to another team member? And then we can shift to talk about coaches as well. Um, I'm just curious. Did you did you see that? Did you watch? Oh yeah, it? I watched the whole the thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and and what you're saying there uh, is is something that you don't go through a, a great deal. Many people don't go through mm-hmm. it, but if you have had the opportunity to go through it, and I mean, we're talking about the locker room and, and the other players, you mm-hmm. know, they felt at, at before coming in into this, that this doesn't happen to us. We're invincible. Right. And they seen that right in front of their face that anything can happen to you at one time. And it could even be uh, life taking. Because they never thought it ever could go that far. You know, you could just get hurt and and have an injury. But in regards to where it's taking your life, you know, they had they had to soul search during that moment and they and, and, and they really communicated with each other. But at the same time, not only did they communicate, they used each other within their sanctuary to feel to feel that they can get through this. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's why it was so touching to everyone. You know, because they just no one ever felt that this could happen like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's and I think it's one of these things you said, soul searching, which that's what I saw, too. I mean, granted, right. I'm looking through a screen. I'm somewhere else. I'm not. So it's I have to be very conscious of sort of the the um, uh, kind of viewership of it. Right. Mm-hmm. But. I'm also conscious of the fact that in the in those moments, you could feel a lot of members doing some soul searching. <laughs> yes, um, yes, yes. 
and they had to and they had to question themselves a great deal. Mm-hmm. And I, I give mm-hmm. an example, something similar to that. It's not as uh, it's as potent. It was as potent, maybe even many cases more. The death of Kobe, you know, Kobe Bryant. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, no one ever thought something like that could happen. Right. And it, and his daughter going with him too. And I mm-hmm. was I was remember I remember where I was at during that time. The same thing as is nine eleven. I remember exactly where I was at and what I was doing. I my wife and I was in New York and we were watching a play. <laughs> it's crazy. Mm-hmm. We were at a we were at a place watching a play at a theater, and and the guy behind me touched me on the back and said, "You know, Kobe Bryant died." And when it mentioned, I said, "What? You got to be crazy. Nothing like that happened." And then mm-hmm. when that happened, you you said, "Man." It can happen to anyone at any given moment. And it, and, right. and that's why religion is so important. And, and, and for me, spirituality is so important. Mm-hmm. It's because it tells you that, you, you know, you don't you got to be prepared regardless of what happens in your life. Right. And, you know, the thing about Kobe, which I find so interesting, Coach, um, you know, I have a lot of family in L.A. And so Kobe, you know, Kobe had uh, a, a, a obviously a big presence there. Um, I remember actually hearing about him because he graduated high school overseas, I believe in Italy. Right. And a lot of my friends were um, in international schools and kind of some of their paths crossed or whatnot. So I remember thinking um, sort of the, the many, the many lives and layers of Kobe across his, across his time. But what's interesting for me is in some sense, in his afterlife, right. he continues to be this incredible mentor and almost spiritual force for a lot of players, coaches, luminaries, entrepreneurs. Um, you know, even even to this day, I see the occasional you know Kobe quote or video or snippet will come up, and it's strange for me because sometimes I forget he's gone. Right, right, right. Because there was that much life and that much wisdom and that much passion in this container of a human yes that we're still benefiting from it. right 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 well i give you an example another person that i get the same from is john wooden it was the you know mm-hmm. coach at ucla and all the great teams yeah. he had but every day i uh, not every day but as often as I can, I, I get some information. I read about what he's, you know, what, what he meant, what he said in this, in this quote and so on. It's because, you know, he, he, he provided for people that didn't understand which direction they were going, a, a direction. Right. And Kobe did the same, you know, he, he provided that. And, uh, and, and, and in the process, you lost that, but you lost the person but you didn't lose the message. Right. And it, and he continues to do so posthumously. I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating to see even intergenerationally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, his, his, you know, legacy coming up um, in, in a really beautiful way. Well, and you know what we all, you know, if you were in sports, you only looked at the bas- the, the basketball side of it. <laughs> he had a great mm-hmm. deal of other right. things that, you know, that lifted people. It made them feel good about themselves. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, as, as I think about the role that coaches, athletic coaches play now in our world, 
you know, it, it's interesting. We've been through these past couple of years with COVID and COVID emergent and schools are right. schools and colleges are getting back to a place where, um, you know, I was just reading about my own alma mater. It's really the first semester. This, this semester was the first semester that students could have the full experience again. Oh yeah. And yeah, yeah. I met with, you know, I met with a few students recently and they're seniors now and they're in their final semester of their senior year. And it's the first opportunity for them to have an unwavering, unabashedly amazing experience. And they have one semester, one semester. And it kind of breaks my heart. Yeah, it does. They didn't get the experience. And and the other thing they didn't get is the total interaction between student, student and, 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 teacher yeah. and, and just friend relationship because you get all three of those things while you're going through college and it helps right. you later on in life to be a, a better person. Mm-hmm. And as we think about that crew, right, that that group of people, one of the things I find so interesting, I have a niece who who was a senior during the during 2020. Right. So she was on the other side. She was on the side where those seniors never got to graduate. Right. Mm. They never like all of those yeah. traditions and rituals were completely derailed. And so on both sides, it's really it's two sides of a trauma right? right that we're right. talking about it's, here. You're exactly right. And those those young people are so resilient to me. And and now I'm meeting those that are on the other side of that coin. Right. The ones that never knew anything other than than you know the pandemic and covid and they only get one semester as a senior to experience the full um immersion yeah i think they have lessons to tell us too yeah right? yeah and 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 they will come out at one point mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you know we haven't really focused on them as of yet but eventually we will mm-hmm. and they'll even write about them you know i, I yeah you know, I look at so let's you know I'm in I was I'm in sports so I'm gonna tell you a little bit about that is that all that group that that went through school during that period of time that they had to uh, change their way of doing things at a university even as even as a player because mm-hmm. you see what occurred see all this stuff has occurred from that. And I, and I hate to say this, think about, you know, you got two things that's really big today. Uh, uh, the, the portal for, for, for transferring and, yep. and the NLI both came. Yeah. And then you're wondering how did that all happen was many of those kids that were in that group you're talking about uh, all of a sudden didn't know what to do. And then and, and, and the universities were caught with them and didn't know what to do. And so what they did is just give them all an extra year. Right. So now instead of going to school for four years, you're going for five and six and some even seven. But, Mm -hmm. you know, going is one thing, but performing in a sport over that period of time. Now you're a whole different kind of person going in there performing. See, you're a whole different human. uh, Think about it. And and you get like on that transfer portal, you getting six year seniors coming in there you know they know more and, and than a freshman mm-hmm. and everything else. So now it's becoming an a issue, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, you know, I, it's, it's, it's been interesting how we have, uh, what I've maneuvered, I'm going to call it, through all this. Mm-hmm. Because it has been a, a difficult time. 
Yeah, and even if you think about like the 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 NFL draft and things of that nature, right? I mean, think about the the way in which that completely changed, you know, during and after COVID, and now things are virtual, and you don't necessarily have to yeah, be there. And, exactly. You know, it's just kind of fascinating to see some of that emerge well, and think how take strong, shape. You and I are talking today, and mm-hmm. think how think how big Zoom has become. Yeah. <laughs> on this week alone, Bill, I've had ten Zoom calls. Yeah. We don't we don't we don't interact or connect with people like we used to. Mm-hmm. And uh now is it for the good? I hope so. But at the right. same time, you know, that uh, physical interaction is a key factor. And, and like when I'm I told you I'm writing that new book on millennials, that was one of the biggest issues. They didn't they didn't want to connect. They wanted yeah. to just, you know, do it over the, over, uh, over uh, social media all the time. Yeah, that was that was what was so powerful, Coach. Last week when I was with these students from my alma mater, there were about twenty five of them in person, and I did not know how much my heart needed that until afterwards. Until afterwards, I came out of that and said that was the best part of the programming of that whole that whole you know conference and meeting was sitting down with these students eye to eye right laughter to laughter yep, yep. talking about music talking about life talking about games talking about you know trials and tribulations well, and now you said you needed and and and, mm-hmm. and that's interesting but let me tell you something mm-hmm. those kids need it more than anyone yeah because they i mean they've learned they've learned that they don't have to have that to 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 survive in our society today we don't have to have that interaction. That's a very good point. You're absolutely right. I, I totally missed that. They needed it. Oh, and, and, and you don't realize they have gone back and they've told people in that in that experience they had with you and said, man, this was great. We had a guy to come in and mm-hmm. do this. We haven't had that for mm-hmm. four or five years. <laughs> True. They've been starved of that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. It's so funny. Like I was so caught up in the moment that I that I forgot. Right, both cups are filled. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I really. I see, look. You're teaching. You're still teaching. Here you are, <laughs> still doing it, coach. <laughs> um, as as we uh, as we kind of wind wind down here, um, I would love for you to sort of share. You know, you had mentioned your. You had mentioned at one point to your wife that you're going to retire, but it seems like you're busier than ever, which kudos to you. Um, I know I took three months off once in my life and I was busier than ever. The calendar quickly right, filled up. Right. So I would love for you to share kind of what that transition has been like for you to, and I'm putting air quotes, go into retirement. Uh, you write two books and travel the world. Um, how's that change been for you? Oh, it's been, it's been miraculous, if you want to call it that. I mean, like I said, I... I I'm doing a lot of things. For instance, you know, I'm writing. Obviously, I wrote the books. But uh, the other thing that I'm doing is I'm uh, I'm on the what is called the NIT selection committee. So we select the teams that go to the NCAA. So you on podcasts is all night and day. I mean, mm-hmm. communicating yeah. as one, and then I I do a personal podcast for what is called the NABC. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know if you ever heard that, but the NABC is actually the, what runs college basketball. Mm-hmm. Now they're funded and they're and they're supported by the NCAA, but they're the ones that actually, you know, they built the the uh, uh, Hall of Fame in in Kansas City. They did all that, and so 
they asked me to come and, and speak to other coaches on, on a podcast, and it's called Guardians of the Game. I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, how they guard the game. And, yeah. and, and it worked perfectly with me in, in my area of character development. Yeah. So now all those things are good and I'm, I'm working hard at that. And, and, uh, and, and I tell you, like I, the, the other thing was the police department. I had been a part of that. And then the other thing that I, I really enjoyed, I'm telling you, I created for churches what is called a men's retreat and workshop. Yeah. I do the workshop portion of it. They create the whole, and I give them a, a, a format in which to create a retreat for the men. Mm-hmm. Now, why did I do this? Because I felt men weren't connected in church. 100%. They just go and just be there. They 100%. really don't, you know, and because their wives or someone told them to. And I wanted them to understand that there's a relationship you can have within the church with all the men there and, and connect. And so I'm, I've been doing that, and I really enjoy that. I really th- I think that's a good thing for men, and they need to get away and at times just connect with one another. I totally, I totally agree, and I echo that. And I'm so glad to hear hear you say that that you're doing that work and you're invited to do that work. You know, I've had a few folks on this podcast, um, maybe a handful of men who have talked about um, that work, right? That they didn't yeah. necessarily expect themselves to be called to it or doing it, but it has been some of the most needed, transformative, um, nourishing. Uh, yep, yep, yep. transforming in their life work they've ever done. And I agree with you, especially as we emerge out of, you know, and into or, you know, evolving in, in these stages of, you know, remote versus in-person versus connect. We, we do have these opportunities to bring men together to have conversations. Yep, yes. I think it's so vital. And, you know, think about it. The pandemic hit, and now it, it forced us to everyone to be inside, mm-hmm. and it forced you to have a relationship. Uh, uh, I don't want to say have a, but a better relationship with your family members, yeah. because you're seeing them every day. You're communicating, but that personal interaction with other people, uh, you know, that that you haven't had before, we kind of lost that during that period of time. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I felt because of all those kind of things that occurred, if I can bring men together and they can communicate and, and connect and, 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 and let them let others know how they feel about themselves and each other. Now it can help them be a better person. Yeah, it's a win win. Yeah, win win. You're exactly right. Coach, thank you so much for, for your time. Before I let you go, tell folks where they can find your book more about you. Um, you've got the one book and another book coming out. Um, and, and who knows, there might be somebody that listens to this and then reaches out to you and says, Hey, I need you to come lead a workshop or I need you to come yeah. talk to my, uh, my law enforcement you know, team or whatnot. So yeah, I would love for you to share where people can find out more about you. Well, the title of the book is 10 principles of a character coach. That's the one that's complete. The other is it's it's at the editors, but that okay. won't be out for it'll come out. And my goal is to bring it out in November. Okay. OK, but this one is the big one. This is the one that tells you uh, the importance of the character within. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 I created principles so you can understand if I can just follow some of these principles, I can help myself become a better person and and have and show better character. And you can get it at Barnes and Noble and uh, uh, you can get it uh, on Amazon. I mean, it's all there. And uh, my uh, my um, 
if you want to call it, my uh, website is www.coachwaters.com. So they can get it on there. They can go look on it. It talks about the book. It talks about everything. Great. And once they get on it, they'll get an understanding what this is all about. And I'm all about character. Awesome. I'm I'm really I'm really glad that we connected and this was a great conversation for me to take into a Friday to start my weekend uh, to be inspired. So <laughs> well, thank you, Coach, for the opportunity. Uh, keep doing amazing work. Uh, I'll include all that stuff in the show notes so folks can find out. And I can't wait to later learn who listened to this and then reached out and then you know pay it forward. Well, thanks. You know, I appreciate it, Bill. It's been wonderful just having the time and spending the time with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe. Yeah, you too.